Well, welcome back to the All In Podcast. Pastor Tim Aiken here, Pastor at First Baptist, Douglasville. Joined for the second week in a row by my brother, uh, Dr. John uh, Aiken. Gave him a full uh, introduction last week. And so if you missed last week's podcast, you can either listen to it or you can watch it by going to our church website. Last week, we covered the doctrine of Christ. A lot of really good stuff, important stuff. So I want to encourage you guys to go back and listen to that. Today, we're going to go ahead and just jump straight into our next doctrine. It's the doctrine of salvation. And again, what we're doing in this series on the podcast is what does it look like to go all in with Jesus' church's mission by having the right theology, right understanding of the scriptures and the key uh, the key Christian doctrines that have been key to the Christian faith for over 2,000 years. So we're going to talk about the doctrine of salvation. So let's jump in. John, when it comes to the subject of salvation, what are some common um, you know, misconceptions? What are some common misunderstandings of salvation that people uh, have, whether it's historical or maybe even contemporary, when they think about this doctrine? I'd say the most uh classic is is works-based salvation okay. is that so many people so many people think that going to heaven is about being a good person and so you have uh, i mean all, all these different ones you know um alan jackson had a, a song in that where he says working hard to get to heaven yep yep um you know that 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 kind of that kind of idea um I remember, I think it was, there was a song that Pearl Jam remade that was, that was like an oldie called Last Kiss where this, this girl, um, you know, this girl dies and the, the boyfriend pulls over and sees her there dying. She's been in a car accident. And he's like, where, where can my baby be? She's gone to heaven. So I've got to be good so I can see my baby when I leave this world. So yeah. that's a common misconception is that, is that we've got to be good. And, and you see it in two kind of different ways. Um, I think you see it in, in terms of just, just that idea of, Hey, good people go to heaven. Uh, or you see it in a ritualism where if, if it's connected to a church, then, then part of it is going through the rituals. Like I've got, you know, be baptized as a baby or go through a confirmation class or be baptized as a kid in a vacation Bible school, that there's, that there's a ritual based component to it. Um, and so, yeah, this is just this idea that, uh, God likes good people and, and sends them to heaven and doesn't like bad people and sends them to hell. And uh, I mean, that, that, that misconception just runs throughout our culture, runs throughout pop culture. Um, yeah, that's, that's the biggest misconception. Okay. So this, this works based when tied to ritualism. Okay. So I think I see that the most in kind of my context, similar context, which you live in Tennessee. So, so, so Southern United States, Bible Belt context, Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, places, many places where we've grown up, right? You, you, you see this. And so what impact has that works-based ritualism and what impact has it had on the church? Like be fleshed out even more clearly for us. What are some of the rituals that you think people think they have to go through, or even parents want to make sure their kids go through so they yeah. can check off the salvation box? Yeah. And I think I would say too, like, I really see this, not just in the South. I think you're right. Like, by, like so I'd say to, to, as Kevin Ezell, my boss and man talks about Southeastern conference, ACC, big 12, big 10. I would say those, yeah. that a lot of that. So the Southeast to the a little bit of the Southwest and you include Texas. Cause I see, you see it there. And then through the Midwest, uh, the PAC 12 doesn't necessarily face this um, as much. Uh, we're like the A10 or whatever, like up in the Northeast. But 
Um, we certainly see that here. And I, and I think it's tied to, um, it's tied to like, yeah, church attendance. Um, it's tied to whether that be a regular church attendance or that be special occasions. So I, that's where, that's where we have our weddings. That's where we have our funerals. Uh, we're going to go on Christmas Eve. We're going to go at Easter. We're going to send our kids to vacation Bible school in the summer. Cause that's what we did. Uh, and that's where they're taught to be good people. And, and, um, and so I, you know, it, it just, it, it, it hit me as a pastor when I was, I was doing premarital counseling for a couple. She grew up in our church. He grew up Catholic and I was doing the, doing the, and the first thing I do in premarital counseling is ask for their testimony and their testimony was, was identical. The Catholic testimony and the Baptist testimony were identical, but one said, yeah, when I was 12, I went through confirmation and, and the other one was, yeah, when I was 12, I, I got baptized at the church, but like mm-hmm. Jesus wasn't mentioned, sin wasn't mentioned. And so it was just that, that ritualism. And, and so it's, it's just part of the, the cultural makeup. I remember a, a friend of mine who, and, and who's written on this subject, Dean and Sarah, who pastors in Tallahassee, um, in his book uh, called The Unsaved Christian, it, it's something I would encourage everybody to read. Yep. He talks about in the book, a friend of his who was so excited that he was, his son was getting baptized that weekend. Um, and I think they, 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 they were like a, a church that baptized babies. And, um, and he said, my, my friend hadn't been in church in 20 years, but thought, and, and really didn't even claim to have a relationship with the Lord or anything, but, but thought it was a big deal that his son was going to get baptized and thought that was important. Um, and so that, that's just part of the, the, yeah, that's part of the cultural makeup. And those are, those are part of the rituals, um, saying, saying grace before meals, you know, uh, praying when you're in a really, you know, talking to the big man upstairs when you're really in a difficult time. Um, it's just part of the cultural makeup. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll put, we'll put Dean's book in the show notes. We took our entire church staff through it again, called the unsaved Christian, this idea essentially that, you know, there's, there's strongholds of cultural Christianity in different pockets, as John was saying, different pockets of america and um, you think about this in his in his book he talks about how like um going to a major league baseball game right and in like the seventh inning stretch instead of taking me out to the ball game they they played god bless america and he's like everybody hat off singing as loud as they can uh he's like you know it was louder than any worship service he's ever been to or you think about you mean teams praying in the locker room or, or praying over the loudspeaker before high school football games and those kind of things like it's just it is part of the, like you said, the cultural makeup. And so because of that, people just assume that they're Christians and they're assumed that they're saved and they're assumed that they're on good terms with God because they're part of that cultural apparatus. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, and I've shared this and I want our church members that are listening to hear this, you know, the, one of the, one of the things that I hear the most, we have a class called First Connection. So anybody that wants to join our church has to go through First Connection at the end of the presentation, we ask them, hey, tell us your faith story. Tell us your testament. Tell us how you became a Christian. And, you know, very, very common, we'll get something very similar to what you had. Or we'll even have people say, well, you know, I've always been a Christian because I was raised in the church. And they'll equate, they'll equate the two together. And I want to be very mm-hmm. kind and gracious. I don't want to be mean or rude, but, I, you know, we have to tell them that that's just not a biblical view. And I think it comes from a good position. Like, I think most of these parents, like, you know, have little kids, right? So one of the things we want as parents is we want to make sure that our children have a relationship with Jesus, safe in their sins. We want them to go to heaven when they die. We, we don't want them to perish. So it comes from a good spot. But even these good, well-intentioned people, 
I think we end up doing more harm than good. And the real kind of bottleneck is where you hit it. The real bottleneck is the issue of baptism. And so the bottleneck is when I want my kid to get baptized, because we do believe that baptism is a outward sign that you have believed the gospel. But a lot of people think, yeah, it's more, a lot of people actually really think that's more than an outward sign. It is a ritual. I have to get that box checked off in order to be right with with Jesus. And so you'll see these parents that come to you with a four-year-old or a five-year-old. And it's really hard as a pastor because you want to help that child take steps towards Jesus. And you want to, you want to affirm what God's doing in their heart. At the same time, you don't want to run the danger of that little four or five-year-old kid thinking, oh, well, I went through the rituals. And later on when they're struggling in life and they're not living with Jesus, their parents go, no, you are a Christian because I was there when you, and you know, they go through the ritual and it's just a tough position. So we want to make sure that we do teach correctly what salvation really is, how we are truly saved. And it's not through these, it's not through these rituals. It's not through, you know, Billy Graham has been on record of saying, and I can't remember the number, but it was a high percentage. He, he believed that a high percentage of the people sitting in the pews on Sunday morning are actually unsaved people. Now, I think it may have been dad. It was someone that got a chance to talk to him later in life and asked him, Hey, do you still believe that? And he said, no, I don't. I, I actually think it's more that are in the pews that are, that are unsaved. And, mm-hmm. and that's unfortunate that that may be true, but that's Billy Graham, you know, saying that. And so I think this is a misconception. We've got to make sure that we do a good job teaching. So, okay. So because of that, so John, then help us, help us understand what does the Bible teach regarding salvation? In other words, according to the scriptures, according to the Bible, how are we saved from our sins? Yeah. So that, that's the thing. Part of the challenge here, just to, to transition from misconceptions to the, what the Bible actually teaches, is that we actually are sinners and that there is something we need to be saved from. What's missing so often in these testimonies, these cultural Christianity testimonies that I hear, it, there's two big things missing, Jesus and sin. And so I always like Jesus is kind of tacked on mm-hmm. and I'm like, Hey, so you just, you mentioned vacation Bible school, you mentioned confirmation, you you mentioned baptism, you didn't mention Jesus. Like, did he have to die on the cross? Mm. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, did I forget to mention that? And it's like, yeah, and that's kind of a big deal. Like, you know, I mean, that's, you know, and I I, preaching through Galatians right now at First Baptist Naples, and um, we started last Sunday, and, and I just kind of told the people, I said, look, if I were to ask you how do you know you're saved? How do you know you're going to go to heaven when you die? How do you know you're in right terms with God? If you say anything other than Jesus, like if anything that you have done other than what Jesus has done, then I'm not trying to be unkind. I think this is the kindest thing I can say in the world. I'm concerned for you. You need to like take stock of whether or not you're really saved because true, true salvation is look, we are sinners uh, we have rebelled against God. We have disobeyed God. And so because of that, we deserve to be held accountable and that we, we, we deserve the wrath of God. And so we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. And uh, there's condemnation for those who are sinners. And so Jesus um, in his love and in his mercy lived a sinless life died in our place for our sins, took the, took the wrath of God that we deserve so that we didn't have to take it, uh, and was raised from the dead, defeating death and, and proving that God accepted his sacrifice. And, and so if we'll turn from our sin, if we'll, if we'll admit 
to God, yes, you're right, I'm a sinner. And not only did Jesus have to die on the cross, he had to die on the cross for me because of what I've done. Mm. And so I'm putting my faith and trust in Jesus and his death and resurrection to, to, to pay the penalty for my sin and to bring me in the right relationship with God. Um, as Jimmy Scroggins, you know, our, our youth pastor, you say, take all the faith that you have, put it in all the Jesus that you know. Um, and that, that's how, that's how you're saved. I mean, it's just, you know, whoever believes, uh, in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. You confess with your mouth, you know, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. He was raised from the dead. You will be saved. I mean, that, that, that's the, that's the bottom line is that, um, nothing is not, is about nothing that we do. It's everything has to do with what Jesus has done and us trusting in that, depending upon that. Uh, that's, that's what the Bible teaches about salvation. Okay. Very good. No, it's awesome. Great, great uh, summary. So, okay, what I want to do with this is walk through a couple key terms, ask them to you, do the best you can to define them for us. Uh, and I'll see if there's any follow-up. We need to do some key terms when it comes to salvation and then uh, may get fun, ask you a couple controversial questions in a minute related to this topic. So if you were to, if you were to define in a simple way the gospel, just give us a helpful, simple definition, or or maybe even one sentence. What is the gospel? It's it's first it's first Corinthians fifteen that that the good news is that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, was buried, and on the third day raised from the dead according to the scriptures. It's the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Okay, Very it's good. the news. That's what the God the gospel is is you know and and people talk about it, it is it is it's not advice to follow. It's it's news that is sent out that you believe and that you, that you depend, you just, you change your life based on it. You, you base your life on it. Right. Right. Okay. Very good. I think, I think another key word when it comes to the, the topic of salvation that we don't talk about a lot, it's a big, it's a big word is the word regeneration. But I think it's a very significant concept for people to understand. So help us think through what, what is regeneration? Yeah. Regeneration too. If you want to make it real simple is, is when people talk about being born again, yeah, um, that's that's kind of what regenerate regeneration is where you're, you go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Uh, you're being raised from the dead spiritually. And so born again, so that born again is another another huge concept, because th this idea that I've always been a Christian will know you haven't because Jesus says, if you're not born again, then you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So you you are you are born in the world spiritually dead and you need to be made alive. Yeah. Uh, and that's what and that's what Jesus uh, does by his death and resurrection right right one of our favorite movies and regeneration also too uh, sorry yeah i, I want to hear this but, but regeneration too is <laughs> now you not only you go from spiritual death to spiritual life but now you have a new ability because you've been made alive spiritually to to do things that please the lord that you could not do when you were spiritually dead well and before and before i get to the movie quote but okay how are we how are we regenerated according to the scriptures who regenerates you? how's that happen John, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Yeah. So, so I, I, we're, now, we're not, your question now, if your question is like in, in relation to like, I think it happens. I mean, I think the Bible teaches. The yeah. I'm not getting into that. What I'm really okay. wanting to understand is again, the Holy Spirit plays such a massive role. So, so often we don't, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit enough. The Holy Spirit, according to the scriptures is the one that takes your dead heart and gives your heart the ability to understand your need that you are a sinner, your your belief in the gospel, the Holy Spirit does all that work. Yes, I mean to, to, to your point, and this, this may lead into the illustration you're going to use. Is I mean, when Lazarus doesn't pick himself up and walk out, Jesus says, "Get up!" Like Jesus has to 
make Lazarus come alive. And then he walks out. Correct. Correct. Yeah. The illustration is, is the movie that we all love as Aiken Boy's Prince's Bride. And so in the Prince's Bride, got this incredible scene where they've got the, they've got Wesley, the masked man, uh, and, and he seems dead. And so they take Wesley to a guy known as Miracle Max, played by Billy Crystal. And they take him to Miracle Max and they want Miracle Max to do a miracle so they can go back into the castle and overthrow uh, Prince Humperdinck and all this kind of stuff. And so when, when he's talking to them, he says, you know, the good news is that he's only mostly dead. There's a difference between mostly dead and all dead. And so often we think, oh, we're just mainly mostly dead. There's some bad things in me, some bad things I've done, whatever. And the Bible says, no, 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 no. You're all dead, right? You're not mostly dead. You're all you're all dead. If you've not seen Prince Bride, you do need to go and uh, and watch it. But you're good you're all, movie night. You're right, right. Movie night. So that's regeneration. Okay, let me move on to a, a another one. Could you hit born again conversion? Let's move to another one. I'm going to jump down a couple to justification. So huge concept. So uh, when it comes to salvation, so what is uh, justification? Being declared righteous before God, it's being made right with God. I mean, it's it, justification is some people say, if you try to simplify it, just as if I'd never sinned. Yeah, and that's part of it. So you, you are, but it's not just as it, it's just as if I'd never sinned, and just as if Christ's perfect record of righteousness was imputed to my account. Yeah. And so, by virtue of faith, you are justified before God. You are you are seen not as a sinner, but he looks at you the way that he looks at his son. Okay, very good. All right, how about the term uh, sanctification? What does that mean? Sanctification is growing in Christ-likeness, growing in holiness. And so think about it this way, I, and I'll get to your third third one here. Uh, the, the, the salvation, we think, we think about salvation. Salvation is past tense. Salvation is present tense. Salvation is future tense. Past tense is justification. That when you say, I have been saved, that's what you mean. Like I, I have, I, my sin record is, is, has been wiped clean. I've been made right with God. I'm being saved in the present. That's sanctification where uh, in the past I was saved from the penalty of sin. Okay. In the, in the few, in, in the present, I'm being saved from the power of sin. That sin is losing its power in my life as I'm growing in holiness. And then future tense glorification is I will be saved from the presence of sin that I will, I will no longer sin at all. And that's what glorification uh, is. And so those are so past tense justification, uh, present sanctification, future is glorification. And you just gave us an incredible sermon outline there with penalty, power, and presence. <laughs> I, wrote, I, wrote, I, wrote, I wrote all those all those down. Yeah, very, very good. So then then you hit you hit uh you hit glorification there. Okay, here, here's what I want to do. So I want I want to ask you three somewhat controversial questions as we before we before we wrap up. They may take a minute, so we'll we'll watch the time on this here. So three potential controversial. I want to ask you because I want you to answer them. Because if people get mad, then they can be mad at you, not not mad, there not mad at me. But when it comes to the doctrine, and I think we're going to be in lockstep on this. But doctrine of salvation. There's kind of three big questions that people ask that come to my mind and I'll, I'll go in order of what I think is maybe the least controversial, at least in our church to maybe the most uh, controversial. So, so question number one, can a Christian lose their salvation? No, a genuine Christian, somebody who's genuinely been born again, cannot lose their salvation, but there are false professors. It's okay. very clear from Matthew seven. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So there are people who think that they're saved who are not. 
Uh, and so the, the, the answer is anybody who is genuinely saved will not lose their salvation. The Bible says, Jesus, John 10, he's got his sheep in his hand. Nobody can pry them out of his hand. Um, you know, to him, Jude, at the end of Jude, to him who's able to keep me from falling. So you can't lose your salvation. But if you apostatize, which means you leave the faith, the, the, the New Testament answer for that is you never were saved in the first place. And so John, first John, they went out from us because they were not of us. If they were of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out that it might be made plain that they are not of us. And so perse perseverance of the saints is important because perseverance is a fruit or a, an indication that you are genuinely saved is that you don't walk away. And if you do walk away for a season, then you come back. Um, you know, that you'll, you'll, you'll come back. You you backslide for a little bit. Right. Right. So I think perseverance of saints is a better phrase. You would probably say then the other phrase, which is eternal security. Uh, maybe they're both. Good. I, 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 like I like eternal security. I like eternal security. If you say the way David Platt says it, which he said, he doesn't say, he said, I don't believe in once saved, always saved. I believe in if saved, always saved. Okay. So I, I've never heard that. I'm going to use that because for me, I agree with the doctrine. Have a word. Eternal security. Once they've always say, perseverance saved, whatever you want to use, I agree with it. What I think it has given people, especially again, those of us in the kind of this ritualistic uh, world is it's given us the ability then to, it's a get out of jail free card. It's, it's fire insurance to then, give me license to live like a hellion for the rest of my life, but because I made this decision in the past, then I'm all good. And that's just not what the Bible is teaching. And so again, my friend Dean in his book talks about this, and we've all had this experience as pastors. He talks about an older couple uh, trying to get him to invite their younger son back to church. And they're like, he, he's okay. He's a Christian. He, has no, he doesn't want anything to do with church, anything to do with Jesus. They're like, he's okay. Cause he, he prayed a prayer in vacation Bible school 30 years ago. So he's, he's fine, but it really would be great if he was back in church. And, and Dean's like, I mean, no, we probably need to be really concerned about it. <laughs> exactly. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, okay, good. Good. Second question. This one is a little controversial. I think maybe a little bit less. So the question is sometimes posed this way. What about the man or the woman? Okay. And I'm talking about a, a morally, uh, uh, you know, they're, they can think intellectually, they're morally responsible. So I'm not talking about a baby, I'm not got someone with significant, you know, uh, mental disabilities. So, mental challenges. Yeah. Yeah. So someone with moral responsibility, a grown-up person that's living on the island, they're the deep jungles of the Amazon, or they never before, ever before heard the name of Jesus. Okay. Never read a Bible, never heard the name of Jesus, never had the gospel with them, never been to a church, never been a Christian. If they die, do they go to heaven? Do they go to hell? What does the scripture teach? They go to hell. I mean, okay. I, I hate to say that, but this is what the entire book of Romans is about. And just, I mean, to be very succinct about this, Romans 1 tells us that, again, using the qualifiers you, that you used, every person who is morally aware has enough knowledge of God to damn them to hell. Okay. And that they have suppressed, what Paul says, they have suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. And so they, they know, they, he says from the creation, they, they should be able to see the, the attributes and the power of God, and they have suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. And so therefore they will be, he says, they will be without excuse on judgment day. That's what he says in Romans one. And so there's not going to be any of this. Well, I didn't have enough information. I didn't know. No, you had enough knowledge of God to know that there was a God to know that you owed him your life and you, and you rebelled against him. And so every person on the planet, every Romans, the, the, the sweep of what Paul's doing in, in Romans is that incre incredible theological book. It, it, it's a mission support letter that Paul's sending. Paul's sending a 
letter to the church in Rome because he says, look, at the end, he says, there are people in Spain who have never heard the gospel before. And because they've never heard the gospel, they're going to hell. And so would you support me and help send me to Spain so that I can go preach Christ where he has not been named? And so even that, that whole, that chain in Romans 10, that, that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word, but how, how are they going to hear unless somebody preaches and how is somebody going to preach unless they're sent and how, like all of those things are necessary for us. And, and, and again, just theologically, if that were not the case, then, then why is there such a missional impulse from Genesis to Revelation? If somebody could go to heaven simply by just not having enough information, it would be better for us not to go preach Christ to them right. so they could go to heaven with this kind of, you know, escape clause than to go out and actually preach Jesus and give them a chance to say no, and then they go to hell. Well, no, the, the, the impulse of the New Testament is they're going to hell, and that's why we are obligated to get the gospel to them. Right. Okay. No, very good. Uh, and, it, and, it's a, and that is a tough, you know, it, it, uh, our hearts should go out in compassion, right? This, this, this should be one of those teachings of the scripture that troubles us, that bothers us, that, that we don't like. But it's there. it is it is incredibly troubling and it but it's there and, and and here's the thing is that it, we can we can wring our hands and get mad at God and say that's unfair or whatever but this uh, uh, Jay Gresham Mach in his book Christianity and liberalism uh, says I mean he says he says if therefore this way of salvation is not offered to all it is not the fault of the way of salvation itself rather it is the fault of those who failed to use the means that God placed in their hands mm. and so the whole the, his whole point is look God has given us everything. We're, we're the most, I mean, we're the most affluent mm-hmm. church in the history of Christendom. We've got everything we need to get the gospel to the heathen. Yeah. Yeah. That's yes. faithfulness. Yes. Right. Very, very good. All right. Last, last question. Uh, we'll wrap up our, our doctor salvation with this one. Uh, you may or may not know where this is going. This is going to what people love to often refer to as, you know, Calvinism and all that, all that kind of stuff. And so this is, and I'm just gonna be very blunt on the podcast tonight. You know, there this is one of those topics that's just very, very misunderstood by the average church goer, church member, especially in our setting, especially in our context, especially in in the the South. And people think they know what Calvinism is, they think they know what reformed theology is, they think they know what this stuff is, and they truly do not. But they throw around very dangerous terms, they throw around very dangerous accusations. And things of that nature. I mean, I've even been called a quote unquote Calvinist in, in our church on one side, but on the other side, I'm told that I preach about missions too much. And so I don't know what the answer is. So am I, do I not believe in mission? Do I preach about too much? If I wasn't, if I didn't believe in mission, why do I go as a missionary? So just things like that. Sometimes people use it just ways to attack, but I think it's important that we understand it correctly. So help us think through, I'm going to try to pose this question. So what is uh, the relationship in the scripture? When it comes to salvation between God's sovereignty on one hand, which is clearly taught, I mean, the Bible says, Jonah chapter two, verse nine, salvation belongs to the Lord, right? So we know salvation is work out. The Holy Spirit is the one that regenerates you. So obviously, clearly, salvation is of the Lord. But then at the same time, we you quoted some of these, right? Whoever, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So how does God's sovereignty and human responsibility work together when it comes to the doctrine of salvation? Yeah, so the, the answer is, I don't know specifically how they work together. I just know that they both are true and both work. And so what I would just say is, I, I just try not to, to, I try the best I can to not systematize things to the point where it leaves off clear text of scripture. 
Okay. And so what I want to do is I want to let clear texts of scripture stand. And so I want to let, there's a whole group of texts that are about the sovereign bigness of God and how he's the one who saves. You mentioned Jonah, but you have all of these different ones that, that, that talk about predestination, that talk about election. You have uh, Jesus saying to, to Paul, I think when he's in Corinth, he's, he's saying, you know, keep preaching the gospel because I have many people in this city. Okay, it, 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 Acts 13, when Paul's preaching at Pisidian Antioch, as many as were appointed to eternal life yeah. believe the gospel. And so you have, you have these massive sovereignty texts where it's just like salvation is all of God. He's the one who calls. He's the one who draws. He's the one who regenerates. This is, this is what he does. And then you have a whole other group of human responsibility texts. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever believes will be saved. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart. You, you know, you're going to be saved. Like there's all these other uh, choose this day who you will serve, like all these other human responsibility texts, and they're both true and they both go together. And so I just, I just would caution for me, anything, any system of theology or belief or approach to the Bible that diminishes the bigness of God, I want to, I want to reject, but anything that also downplays that we make real free decisions that have real consequences and really matter. I want to, I want to, I want to do away with that as well. And so I want to hold these things together. And for me, for me personally, it's the most freeing thing in the world because it, it, it helps me recognize that like, okay, if, if I'm going to hold these things together, then if I have put my faith and trust in Jesus, then I can trust the reason why that happened is because God was drawing me and because God was opening my heart and opening my eyes and, and, and that he's going to keep me like, he's going to preserve me. And I'm not, I'm not going to be ripped out of his hands. Like right. this is the greatest news in the world. And also it's, it's great news when you think about as Christians, when you think about lost people that you love, like family members or friends that you really love, like when you're praying for them, you're not praying God help them be smart enough to pick you. You're praying what God save them, God, you know, work in their life and, and open their eyes to see, you know, and, and so that's what, so we pray as if we believe in the bigness of God and we hopefully sleep as if we believe in the bigness of God. Um, and so uh, that, that's how I kind of hold those things together. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's one thing I'd say, I think it's important to understand that, you know, we live in this world, we like love to create all these false dichotomies. Okay. It is mm -hmm. possible Okay, to believe in the sovereignty of God when it comes to salvation and still have a mission and evangelistic heart and go after people and pursue them and preach God. The Bible tells us to do that. While at the same time, it is possible to believe that we are free agents that have the ability to make the, whatever word you want to use. We make free choices. We, we are held accountable. And yet God is still sovereign over our salvation. Those two things somehow reconcile together according to the scripture. Absolutely. Because here's the thing. I mentioned the, the text in Corinth. And so for, for mission, like for me, the bigness of God is the motivating factor for mission. Because because he says to Paul, don't don't be silent. Keep preaching, because if you do, I'm going to save people like it's it's going to work. Yeah. And so that's that's the impulse for mission is that God is a God of means. And the means that he's chosen is us going out and sharing. It's not he's not going to write it in the sky or whatever. He's he's picked us. And so we recognize as we do what he's called us to do, people are going to be saved. And then I just love, I love the way I think it's Spurgeon who said this, who's, who has this mental picture that, that on the outside of the gates of heaven, it says, whosoever will may come. 
And he said, you walk in and on the inside of the gate in heaven, it says, uh, you know, elected before the foundation of the world. Okay. Yeah. And so yeah. it's kind of, it's both and not either or. Right. Right. No, very, very good. Man, great, great conversation. Those are, you know, those are three. There's probably more out there when it comes to salvation. We already dealt with in a sermon that we did on salvation of babies and infants. We did that on humanity and sin. So we dealt with that. But there's a lot of questions that people have when it comes to these doctrines. So trying to hit some of those. But let me end with this. So one of the things we like to do is get people to know our people on here. So I've had Pastor Eli Byrne, I've had Pastor David White, I've had Dad, I've had you now. So I end it, you know, being a football guy with the two-minute drill. So in about two minutes, I'm just going to throw personal questions at you. Uh, you just answer them best you can. John hasn't seen these beforehand or anything like that. So I'm just going to ask them to you, and you uh, answer them best you can, okay? All right, okay. question number one. Miami Hurricanes or Dallas Cowboys? You got to pick. Who do you go with? Oh, gosh. You know, Judd asked me that question all the time. <laughs> I, I, and I, it's really a, a very difficult choice. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say Miami Hurricanes until Jerry Jones ceases to be the owner of the Cowboys because I just don't think we're going to win another championship till he's gone. Okay, okay. So the Aikens are huge Dallas Cowboy fans. All of us are, all the Aiken boys. For whatever reason, John, early in life, early. I mean, he's been faithful his whole life. Yes. Uh, became a Miami Hurricanes fan and has been one for three plus, almost four decades now. And uh, so it's hard for him to know who's he who's he go with. But good. Uh, Good answer. All right. Favorite Miami Hurricane of all time? Got Ed, Reed. One. Ed Reed. Ed okay. Reed. Ed Reed. Mm -hmm. uh, safety or okay. favorite? Greatest safety in the history of the game. I would agree. Favorite Cowboy of all time? Michael Irvin. So I get, also, I get a Kane and a Cowboy yeah, there. Kane. So you put those two together. Okay. Uh, most influential, so not necessarily favorite, but most influential preacher in your life. Man, I'm going to, I'm going to have to say two here. So, so I would say most influential preacher in my life is dad. Okay. I, mean, I think he's been, he's been the most influential and I think, but also RG Lee is my favorite preacher. And so he's been very influential as well. Okay. All right. So, uh, all right. Then, uh, RG Lee passed for many years in Memphis, Tennessee. All right, and most preached a famous sermon. Uh, he preached a famous sermon payday someday. You can look it up. That's right. All right. Most influential book. Gosh, that that one is really incredibly difficult. I would probably change. Um, let me say that. Man, I'm trying to think. Jay Gresham Machen, I mentioned that earlier. Christian liberalism has, has been incredibly helpful and influential in my life. I'll just I'll just go with that. Okay. All right. Three more will be done. So if you could take your wife Ashley anywhere in the world, money's no object. Somebody's got somebody's taking care of the kids. All that. Where would y'all Where would y'all go? We want to go to New York, um, okay. and we were we were going to do that for our fifteenth wedding anniversary, and then COVID hit, and so do not want to go to New York right now. Yeah, I was going to say not a great place to be. <laughs> so New York, New York City. Okay, very good. All right, last two questions. Uh, favorite Bible verse. My favorite Bible verse is, um, I'm going to say Psalm sixteen eight. Um, where I said the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. And it's in the context of the, of the prophecy about Jesus resurrection. I'd say Psalm 16. All right. Very good. Last question. This is a serious question. Uh, I've asked this to most, most, most of the guys recently, kind of a hard one, but what do you want your legacy to be? So when you are dead and gone, you're with Jesus. What do you want your legacy to be? 
just that he he loved his family well. He loved Jesus and tried to make him first in his life and ministry and his teaching and preaching. Uh, and then he loved the church and he loved mission. Okay. Very good. Very good. Well, John, it's been awesome to to have you out. I'll, I'll probably say this enough. Those are huge, huge blessings in my life. They they did torment me and beat me up and pick on me mercilessly. It is true. In life, Zeke always belly aches. So Zeke's our our youngest boy, and he's got three older brothers, and he he likes to belly ache when his brothers are picking on him, and he has he has no idea uh, 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 what it's like. And so what, what they do to him is child's play compared to what my brother did to me. But in all truthfulness, really has made me the man I am today. Uh, and my, my brothers are my two. You know, there are three of my biggest heroes. They're also three of my biggest supporters and encouragers they are a huge huge gift mm-hmm. to me and and uh, a blessing it's so great to have john on the podcast today so thank you for joining us john so stick with us next week we'll continue for i believe three more weeks on the doctrine uh on a theology and we'll be looking at the doctrine of the church we'll be looking at baptism lord's supper and then we'll conclude with the importance of church membership uh the next three weeks on the podcast thank you all so much for joining us john thanks for being on here appreciate it enjoyed it See y'all next time.